guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by UPMentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest, we have Charlie Weingroff back on to discuss what's new in the life and career of Charlie, and also discuss the recent release of his latest DVD product, Training Equals Rehab 3. On this episode, me and Charlie get into many topics, including training equals rehab three, skill acquisition, and Charlie's go-to resources for skill acquisition, Charlie's insights into pain science, PRI, has Charlie changed any of his thoughts on PRI since we last spoke, what new assessments or clinical methods has Charlie started to incorporate into his training and rehabilitation protocols, we discuss the use of frequency-specific microcurrents, Charlie's thoughts on the emotional state and pain perception, and Charlie's thoughts on the functional movement screen's fundamental capacity screen. Guys, this was a really great discussion with Charlie, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Charlie Weingroff, it's an absolute pleasure to have you come back onto the podcast for a third time. Uh, just fill us in, Charlie, on what's new in the world of Charlie Weingroff. Well, uh, let's see. I mean, the, the the big news we just did the, the soft launch uh, for the for the third DVD, and uh, that was only available for those folks that were on the, the mailing list, and we'll probably run that. I don't know when we're gonna uh, air this, but uh, maybe that that uh, early bird uh, pre-sale will be uh, done by the time this comes out. If not, we can put the link uh, if people want to get in on that. But uh, that's the the most important thing right now, right now for me, but the last several weeks have been uh, a lot of travel where we did, uh, I think, uh, go back to over the last month, yeah, every week in a row we did uh, Costa Rica, then the following week was uh, Perform Better uh, in uh, in Orlando, and uh, been down to work with, uh, work with Sue and some of the Miami Dolphins, uh, and then we did Perform Better in Providence, back to the week of, uh, at Wimbledon, uh, helping Ronick uh, get ready to go. So he won uh, his first match yesterday in, uh, in Wimbledon. So it's been, a, uh, it's been a busy time, and then uh, I don't have a whole lot of things scheduled for the next couple weeks until uh, middle of August, and that will be our competitive season with the senior national team in Canada. Uh, our, our U16 finished second uh, silver medal in the uh, U16 World Championship. Uh, U19 is going on as we speak, and uh, we just won our quarterfinal quarterfinal match. So uh, this uh, this time of year is always uh, always pretty busy, and uh, we look forward to, to some good things uh, with uh, people enjoying the DVD. So in terms of training equals rehab three, Charlie, what's what's new about that since the second DVD? Where we've gone with this with this DVD is, as you know, the first one. Uh, was was had had a lot of uh, mobility and motor control exercises and very rehab ish sided. Uh, uh, I think I think we looked at the whole system, uh, but but clearly the fitness pieces uh, were minimized compared to some of the terminologies we used to describe the mobility, uh, the isolation, the integration, etc. Uh, and then the second one, I tried to demystify a lot of what was very popular at the time in terms of. DNS, uh, about crawling, rolling, and understanding to lateral, contralateral uh, training, 
uh, but now this one, and, and it really turns out to be somewhat of a, of a chronology of my focus in, in my learning and in my training, uh, really where how do you apply fitness, uh, tying that back to some of those rehab things. And, and I would say T equals R3 is really going to skew much more towards the things that motivate my fitness decisions uh, much more than the specific uh, rehab decisions. Great stuff, great stuff. Yeah. And so, Charlie, uh, in terms of just your own education, is there any new courses or new areas of research that you've been looking into that, that you've been really sort of meditating on over the last uh, period of time? Yeah, I think, I think uh, a lot of it boils down to motor skill acquisition because, again, it's another term that is very, very umbrella, uh, umbrella-like and lots of things are going to fit into how do we actually learn to do what we do, and more importantly, why do we fail at doing uh, what it is that we want to do. So I think over the last several years, particularly motivated by, by some of the things that we see in, in our basketball competitive season, on you know, if the terminal skill is putting the ball in the basket, well, why doesn't that happen all the time? And, and I think that's really where I've studied a lot. So that ranges all the way towards... Uh, eliminating pain and mobility issues to then selecting motor skill acquisition uh, or uh, stability, motor control, whatever these words are. And I think the, the, just like the last time we talked, I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out words and, and very umbrella-like terms so people can't argue. Uh, unfortunately, I think we'll find that people will continue to, to try to argue and defend their emotions. But, but ultimately, where I've been over the last several years is to try to, to then bring together the techniques of, of rehab, techniques of training, into how do we learn uh, to do what we do, and once we're satisfied with that, how can we be who we are as often as possible? So maybe it's a difference of precision of skill, learning it the first time, and, and being able to deliver it on a regular basis, which is mastery of skill. And what sort of resources have you looked into in terms of skill acquisition? Well, I think there's there's quite a few of the popular popular names that that are, are researchers, but I think the, uh, the the piece that I've just been heavily heavily motivated by uh, to the point where I, I really have to credit Val Nesetikin uh, as 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 a mentor over the last several years since uh, meeting him in 2011, because yeah, this is you know, how how he would use physiological uh, markers to predict or explain or guide the training process and the performance process, going back to Bernstein, going back to some of the translations of Bernstein from a fellow named Lotash, L-A-T-A-S-H, and recently uh, Lotash, and I think it, it, it has another text uh, with, there's a Torsky or Verkoshansky on motor skill acquisition and explosive sports. So I think if we go back to Bernstein and then generate questions from some of the things that he wrote in the early 1900s, bounce them off Val through his lens of, of, a, of a Russian uh, or Eastern Bloc training model, and then actually really understanding what Omega Wave is really trying to tell us in terms of, of performance mastery, mastery of skill, uh, and then uh, how we coach, how we communicate through uh, Claire Mann's text, which again is a very a global text where she's almost like the editor 
and then you find the authors of all the other chapters. Now that book itself might be dated, uh, but, but the authors continue to, to publish other research or chapter texts, and the list just grows. But if you pick like a, a, a one or two names and then look at their resources, I don't necessarily always read the entire texts of, of those resources, but rather the ones that seem to answer the questions that are specific to the environments that I'm working in, and then the the the, the catalog of information grows from there. Uh, a, a question or an area I, I've been meaning to ask you about is the area of pain science, Charlie. Um, is have you looked into much in the pain science stuff lately? Because a lot of people seem to be reading up on that, and uh, I know there's the, the the San Diego Pain Summit now that's going on every year, and. There just seems to be a lot of discussion around like what is pain and, and the language we use around um, athletes and, and patients who are in pain. Have you looked much into that? Uh, absolutely, and I think there's 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 a lot of different roads to go down. I, I think it's very interesting uh, with certain uh, speakers when they talk about the science and to appreciate what I think a lot of us in, intuitively knew. It's not to say, oh, it's old. I already knew that. I think. Uh, particularly when, when you listen to an engaging speaker like uh, like like Norma Mosley or Adrian Lau, it's really really compelling to have the levels of indefensible scientific explanations as to what is truly happening in pain. But I'll tell you, uh, maybe where where I had the best lesson in pain science uh, was in the United States Marine Corps, where watching these guys. As, you know, go through certain levels of, of whether you want to call it pain, whether you want to call it nociception, whether you want to call it discomfort, whether you want to call it mental duress, uh, where what makes that person different than someone else is really quite the explanation for pain science. And to appreciate that, uh, that, that everyone is going to express uh, themselves, whether it's verbally or through some so, somatosensory response, uh, very, very differently. Now, that to me is highly motivating and, and incontrovertibly indefensible. I think a, a, a lot of people then take that information, um, people that are very, very poor clinicians, people that are very, very jealous of perhaps the success that other people have to discredit what they're doing when, in fact, they do very little themselves. Uh, it, it, I, I think there may be a lot of the things that we do work, probably not because of the patho-anatomical reasons that maybe we were taught, even still contemporary, there's models that'll teach this is what's happening. Uh, that's probably, I think we're past that. I don't think that that's true, that uh, I don't know that we're putting our thumbs in certain areas and breaking adhesions, uh, and that's what changes pain. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you touch someone, things such as creatine kinase are decreased. There is clearly uh, an emotional component to physical touch that is very, very scientifically uh, driven in terms of what people report. The fact is, is that different people report different things, and it should never minimize the impact and the effects of some of these very, very excellent techniques just because they're probably not happening of for the reasons we were taught, it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you do manual therapy, and it doesn't make you a bad person if you crack somebody's neck and tell them that it was a subluxation. I don't believe that. I don't think a lot of really intelligent people believe that. But, but what everyone would have to agree is that that person's neck would probably move better 
when it is through, and then would really be in a great place to apply further uh, application uh, of mobility and motor training. So I think pain science creates this brown cloud uh, only from some individuals. Um, you, you mentioned the, uh, the, the, and I only mentioned it because you mentioned it first, uh, I, I attended a, a, a pre-conference at the San Diego, uh, whatever it's called, pain, pain Summit, whatever it was, and, and it, was, it was really a, a, an atrocious experience. Mm. Um, this, this fellow up there uh, was, you know, I, I tweeted at a point, and it really got a lot of positive messages, and that's not why I tweet anything for anyone's response. But uh, I mentioned, I, I was afraid, uh, obviously because I, I wasn't seeing things through the same lens he was, but I was afraid to raise my hand uh, to ask a question because he was making fun of other people. And it wasn't so much that I was afraid. I was like, I, I don't ever want somebody to think that they couldn't ask me a question for that reason. So not only was he a, a very poor instructor, uh, the room was just like a bunch of flag wavers. And you know, I was obviously sitting with some folks that, that uh, probably were more like-minded. And it was, you, you can't argue with science, but for him to be so arrogantly uh, dismissive of other approaches that in fact were really doing the exact same things that he was doing, uh, it, was really, it was really a shame. Um, you know, and, and, and probably misinterpreting messages, which is fine. We all misinterpret things, but it was it was really a very poor, um, dismissive approach to to, to clinical practice. Um, I, I didn't need to fly out to San Diego and pay the freight for for someone to tell me to be empathetic and sympathetic and and to to speak in a, in a kind voice to people that are trusting you with their body. I thought a lot of the things that he was saying was. Um, getting people to just just do that when in fact we know that there's more uh, poignant and more precise techniques that are going to be very, very often required. Uh, and even if they're not required, if you help someone, you shouldn't be shamed into helping someone just because your explanations and your rationales are different than someone else's if it works. Uh, if it doesn't work, then you just try something else. But it was, um, I think, I think, there are some there are some messages um, that that are really really helping people understand why things work and why they don't work. Uh, I don't know that those are always the same messengers that tell us you know how to how to uh, guide us to clinical practice. Just in terms, Charlie, of your patient care now, and since we've last spoken, is there anything now that you've incorporated into how you're going about each? specific case or whether it's through the assessment or are you integrating more sort of certain methods that you picked up maybe are you integrated more FRC since you've taken that course is there any soft tissue techniques you're starting to incorporate more what's, yeah. kind, of, what's kind of changed in oh. your in your whole patient care over the last while since we last spoke I, uh, I'm very excited that, that uh, the changes are really just added and I feel very very good about the key evaluation of movement output readiness and sensory systems where they're so broad and so open-ended that when you apply other techniques as long as you understand the neurology and physiology they, they really seem to fit so some of the new things that I studied recently um, are, are some microcurrent applications mm. and uh, you know of uh, 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 FSM which which again the guys in Canada uh, have been using for some time and I'm like we're going to do this a lot. I really needed to 
to really uh, understand this. So FSM stands for frequency-specific microcurrent. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 I, I I've seen it uh, clearly uh, be a very very magical reset. Uh, and and I really appreciate the way to teach it because it, it's very similar to other of the best models. They're like you use this when your evaluation tells you to use it, and also understand that it's not the whole picture. Now, there's an incredible degree of mystery to it, uh, not because it doesn't work, and it is enormously researched in terms of, uh, and, and it, because it's a stim machine, you can actually do legitimate double-blind studies um, of measuring humoral and hormonal factors, uh, obviously pain measures, degrees of, of swelling uh, that's, that changes, uh, aside from all the medical things that I don't really get my hands into, but from what it, uh, how the frequencies that are supposed to equate to the resonance of certain structures, how those numbers were generated the first time, the character uh, imagine the, the, the instructor, uh, it's her methodology, uh, she will even openly admit, like, we'll never know. We have no idea. I'll be honest, the, uh, the, the, or maybe I'm not being honest, the flip, the most, uh, the most reasonable explanation as to how these numbers came about was like an alien came to Earth, and they're way, way smarter than we are, so they know that different structures in the body have different resonance, which then equates to a frequency. But what we know is that it works. We know that there is a completely uh, tangible change uh, when uh, using the proper resonance frequencies. So uh, that is that, that's been the big thing that, that uh, I've been practicing. I think it, you know, the, there's there's a price tag to to the stim units, and that's just the way it goes. And and obviously, if the price tag gets in the way, then we pick something else uh, to to accomplish. Because again, I don't know that it does something different. I think it does what we do much, much faster. And if you could do it with manual therapy, uh, which can then continue to accelerate some of the relaxation of, of peripheral soft tissues. So it's a, it's an exciting tool that I've added into uh, when looking to either change pain or change a neural lock pattern. It's, it would work in a very similar fashion and see some of the same systemic effects of, of breathing or, or, or meditation or manual therapy. Do you know, it's it's actually really, uh, like I'm I'm really kind of glad that you, you you're talking about FSM because I have known about it for years because when I did my neuromuscular therapy in Ireland, it was one of our adjunct courses that we had an option to take, and I've read in I, I read into some of the work by some of the some of its originators, and uh, they always quote the book by Robert Obecker and, and the Body Electric. That's right. And, uh, and like right. how, how, how those different bioenergetic and those magnetic fields and how they correlate to different tissues in the body like so like your tendon and ligament and cartilage and muscle and, and all your soft tissue structures they, they seem to have a different like electromagnetic frequency um, and it's all to do with mitochondria metabolism and, and it basically just comes down to biophysics so it's a uh, it's uh, um it's really really interesting area and I actually have a friend here in Ireland who like swears by the FSM unit in terms of relieving acute pain because he also utilizes the SFMA so he'll use the frequency specific microcurrent on the painful area to get information under control and get the healing process going and also facilitate the immune system while he'll obviously then rehab the the dysfunctional non-painful parts. Yeah. 
he's been doing that for a long time. Well, it's, so it's, it's yeah, you're, it's it's staggering, and and I but I, I understand why it's relatively under the radar because mm. uh, there there's definitely a, a voodoo quality to that, and 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 look, if it meant that that I had to dismiss it, like I would dismiss other things, then that's okay, and I went out and gave it a try. Uh, but but it, it's really very and the other thing too is that I'm not finding that it works 100% of the time. Uh, I'm probably at a point in my decision-making process of choosing the frequencies where uh, if somebody were to say I should have a higher percentage of success, I could, and, and they would say it's my fault that I'm not picking the right numbers yet, then I wouldn't have a problem with that either. But the fact of the matter is that if somebody can't get past uh, certain, whatever their thresholds are to, uh, to appreciate what this is doing, then, then I, I, I understand that because there's other applications of microcurrent that are, are a little bit more contemporary, and the other the other ones, given all of the challenges in uh, using dry needling in different states in America, which is really you know, very very childish and unfortunate. So uh, rather than continually or potentially not continually potentially jeopardizing uh, some important things by literally breaking the law. Um, we found that the Dolphin MPS is a uh, is a is a is a microcurrent on that has a built-in ohmmeter, and uh, if, you, if you maintain pressure on one of the buttons, it'll 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 beep, and then when the areas of, of decreased resistance, the beep will become louder. You switch off the ohmmeter and then apply the microcurrent, and we're getting the same excuse me effects of therapeutic dry needling. And, and you're not used to needle, so you could really, really extend some of your electrotherapy models. So again, I think, to me, it's non-negotiable in terms of using DFMS or SFMA or whatever your uh, fitness tests. Like, if you think that a limiting factor to movement or output or readiness or sensory systems are related to what these microcurrent devices can do, then you back, you backload your evaluation. So. Uh, I really appreciate that these two models, the way they taught them, they weren't pushing us to commit. I don't know what it was, but they were saying, "This is what this this is what this can do for you if your uh, evaluation or your situation takes you to require this kind of result." And now you have another tool to do that, and and I like I really am glad. Like it's, it's an exciting time to be able to be in that place where like the evaluation is so so broadly principle based. That now every technique can work. Um, obviously, as we talked in the past, you know, a lot of people will do techniques that don't work, but they continue to do them. Um, this is the same thing. If FSM doesn't work, they try something else. If Dolphin NPS doesn't work, they try something else. And then, uh, and then maybe the other, the other exciting thing. Every year, Shaitao, who I know you studied with at length, uh, comes to America and uh, to be able to, to spend time with him. To learn like positional release techniques and muscle energy technique again, according to his models, is is another. It's a soft manual therapy, and it's one that that really can give us a, a, a tremendous bump uh, when the system is is you know, via omega wave or whatever other measurements you're using, giving us indications of increased sympathetic nervous system activity. So we're going to feed it with a very soft parasympathetic technique. Uh, I think we're pretty good with our sympathetic techniques to match a parasympathetic model. We can bring the heat with knuckles and manipulation, elbows, etc. But if the body is already in that state, it doesn't typically 
match. And that's where some of the soft angle therapies that we know from Levitt uh, or, or Shytown and, of course, others. Uh, that those are the things that I've, I've put into the, into the toolbox uh, recently. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny you mentioned that again. The the sort of therapeutic therapeutic input on parasympathetic sympathetic because that's something I've noticed myself over the last few years. So things like you know uh, yes, uh, ART or dry needling I've found are much more sympathetic inducers. Whereas I would use a lot more chato stuff with people who are overly sympathetic to bring them back to more uh, parasympathetic. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's, it, again, it's great to have those extra tools in the in the toolbox and. Um, I recently. Uh, well, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, uh, we we are obviously in agreement. Uh, I, I think the the message is we need some kind of evaluation to take us to those techniques. And and if your evaluation, and because we know if you bring the heat with knuckles and 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 piston and dry needle, it doesn't work every single time. And if if you start to question why it didn't work. I think what you, what you what we're both talking about is the reason, but the, the real solution is is some kind of evaluation system, and you don't need omega wave and have the adaptation reserves and, and recovery pattern to give us those windows into sympathetic or parasympathetic. We know that there's other uh, cheaper and I don't mean financial, you know, just some more practical techniques like scratching someone uh, or pinching them or or looking at, at different uh, uh, skin hue or di- discolorations. Uh, we know that there's lots of ways to, to look at sympathetic or parasympathetic status and then match the manual therapy or the exercise approach to what you're seeing, um, in this case at a neurological level, not, not necessarily always a physiological level for training or, or recovery methods. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Uh, just switching gears a little bit. Um I was lucky enough to attend uh, and meet Dr. Spina at the FRC in, in May, and I know in our previous podcast you spoke very highly of it. Uh, I have to say I was very impressed with the course content, and I remember you told me at the time you'll enjoy it because of the science, the amount of science background that Dr. Spina puts into it, and, and without question he, did, he definitely didn't uh, leave anything to chance in terms of the scientific, um, the, the scientific research to, to support the, the FRC. Uh, in terms of um, maybe just again for the listeners and just refresh your thoughts again on FRC, Charlie, and, and how you're fitted into your, your sort of uh, model. Uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it, it, it's a scientific approach to, uh, again, I don't want to say it differently because it's, it's his model, but, but again, what, what I'm using, uh, the things that I'm taking out of it is when, when the FMS and SFMA or terminal skills of the activity uh, are indicating that we need more uh, or stronger or greater adaptations in the tissue to absorb and resist force, not create force, then, then, then we have a very progressive model of how to position or coach your exercises. And I think that's that's been a missing piece. And then more importantly, it, it, one of the things, I don't remember if we talked about it before, we can render injury mechanisms useless. We can measure that, we can render them irrelevant. Where if we know that a particular movement is, is absolutely necessary to my sport, or if that happened to be the mechanism of my injury in the first place, I now have ways to very safely and accurately and adequately 
uh, restore tissue tensile strength within the direction of the injury or within the direction of these potentially provocative patterns. And where I don't think I differ, I don't disagree with anything that, that, that Spina would say, I would simply let a, a, a systematic movement output readiness and sensory system evaluation model tell me when to use those exercises. And, and uh, it, it actually, the terms that he used actually have a very, very clear correlation to some more simple words, um, some less exclusive words, such as uh, increasing excursion, such as uh, control at end range. I mean, some of these uh, words that we'll use, um, everybody understood what I just said. Um, sometimes if we use more exclusive words, now we have this debt that we have to learn it only from this particular source. It's really quite the same as the FMS in terms of mobility, static stability, dynamic stability, and fitness. Mm. And, and they all, and they really, the, the words that Steele would use matched up perfectly to everything that, that some other really, really great intelligent people. Uh, but again, uh, FRC would fit into the category of what we were just talking about with FSM and Dolphin FPS and some of Shytow's techniques. They, they, they're going to backdraft into what our team evaluation is asking us to do. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a starting point. It's not a system. Uh, maybe that's something I would disagree with, 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 uh, with Spina, who's a great friend and so proud of him for the, for the, the brilliant business that, he, and, and that he's been able to, to generate and to support his family in ways that, that obviously make a lot of people very, very jealous. Uh, it's not a system. Because there's tons of pieces to the puzzle that are not included. It is a brilliant mini system. Again, now we get into words. You know, a system is so you don't miss anything. Mm. A system is it. Now, if you only use uh, the, these these movement and tissue adaptation strategies, we're not going to uh, learn if if there are, are other needs, particularly in physiological categories. Uh, or recovery, uh, recovery categories, sensory system categories, and, and we're not going to know if those needs are at a higher or lower priority. So in my mind, the system doesn't tell us uh, exactly what to do. It leads us to the next step. And if those next steps are tissue adaptation related, I don't know that there's any more scientific uh, rationale to accomplishing those goals that Bosquina is trying to tell us. It's absolutely brilliant. It is not complete. And again, I don't think he would disagree with what I'm, what I'm saying. So it's a, it's 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 an absolutely mandatory um, approach based on the scientific methods. And you can use any exercises applying strategies that that, that he's talking about. Charlie, interested to get your thoughts on the FMS's new fundamental capacity screen. We haven't spoken about that yet, personally. Yeah, uh, I think it's useful. My, my first reaction was like, oh, come on, really? Um, and, and, and the reason I said that, because I felt that it was in response to the um, uh, incorrect message, or the, the, uh, not the incorrect message, the incorrect critique of, well, you know, the FMS doesn't, it is not an accurate uh, model for measuring under load. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely correct. That's like saying, you know, milk doesn't make your, uh, make you run faster. Like it, it, it's, a, it's a ridiculous 
uh, critique. So I thought it was very reactionary to what, uh, you know, some of these uh, incorrect critiques. I also, I also my, my first thoughts also were that like, this is just stuff that a, that, a, that, a, that a great coach should be doing anyway. And you know, that's, you know, I, I, I say that publicly right now. And then, obviously, uh, as you learn more about it, well, not everybody's a great coach. And if this is something that can bring some people up, um, and, and it kind of balances out that rationale. But then I got really excited when Gray and, and Phil Plisky, you know started to describe some of the other things, some of the, the, real, the real research and database stuff that they're really trying to get after is that trying to, to demonstrate what are the profiles of movement control, uh, movement power, movement explosiveness, um, and, and movement capacity. Like, what are the profiles for particular sports? And if we can get past the FMS at a competent level, now let's look at some capacity, and then we can maybe then what we use Canada in a very, very you know, direct way is talent selection, you know, where if we see that, that, that our young kids are demonstrating a similar profile to what the best uh, basketball players in Canada, uh, what we call a gold medal profile, uh, are demonstrating, now we've got a very, very, you know, very, very scientific approach because all of the different moves uh, are really going through the rigors of, of validity. Uh, and they're, it's obviously reliable and do it and they can do their own reliability study. But when we look at movement control, that comes off the wide balance, which comes off the star excursion. When we look at the broad jump versus the, 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 the vertical jump, the broad jump simply has a larger base of, of information. When we look at triple hop, we know that there's lots of, of data to support that. Um, and we go from right to left. And, and, where and I think there's still some tinkering to be done, uh, at least to my knowledge. And I'm not, you know, I'm not deep in, in, in the at, at the development level is, is finding you know what's the what's the right amount of load to be to be carrying um, for for movement capacity. So so I think it's got it's got very very high levels of utility. Uh, but I, I do think it still kind of sticks with me a little bit that like ah oh man like, so if I did vertical jump and I did the Y balance and I did you know you know some other test like. Yeah, but again, we got to remember that not everybody was doing not everybody was doing these these second level output tests, and and it's uh, and I also really like that it's so general that there's room for another level of special and specific tests for your sport, and and now you have you have a general movement screen, you've got a general capacity screen, and then the next step is is to have the sport specific movement screen and the sport specific past screens and, and really filling in a lot of gaps. And if you look at it the way I just described it, that's the systematic approach, and it's also the systematic approach to development. If, if we took the philosophy that was my initial reaction, which I don't necessarily back off from, but, uh, but, but it's not as strong as it was in the beginning, we would be missing something. And the moment you think that you got it covered, that's when you're missing it. So, so I, 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 I'm comfortable saying that my initial reaction was a little bit too strong. And, and, and we certainly use it in, uh, with our younger levels in Canada basketball. Yeah, it's funny because that was actually my initial reaction too uh, in terms of when they brought it out because I was of a similar mindset that surely after a screen, like a good coach will have a very good athletic profiling process in place where they're now starting to switch from, 
you know, looking at movement quality to sort of more physical capacity assessments or, you know, things that are more quantitative, again, when we're looking at things like uh, a jump profile and um, maximal strength levels and an energy system output or, or things of that nature. But, yeah, kind of like you, I, I, I kind of warmed to it a little more as, as, it, as, it, uh, as I learned a little more about it. Listen, I mean, at the end of the day, the likes, you know, Gray and all the guys at the FMS are, they're only trying to, to, to make the whole profession better. So um, we can only have their hats off. And I think what you said there was also pretty good in, in terms of building now on that, in terms of, you know, we're going from the FMS, which is our general screen, into a general capacity. And then you maybe can branch off into specific areas with regards to specific sports in a, in a general movement screen for the specific sport and then a capacity screen for a specific sport. So it's definitely... Oh, yeah, uh, the, the, the list is growing. You know, it's, it's, it's the... It's the and, and, it's, and I think when you run things systematically, you know, you'll find that maybe that initial reaction is like, wow, do I really need to do that? And if I'm going to stay, if I'm, I'm going to stick with, yeah, you do need to do it because if you don't, there's going to be one time out of 100 that you miss it, and that one time is acceptable. So it's, it's, it's there. And, and so obviously you know that there's golf uh, in terms of uh, sport, you know, what TPI does in the sport-specific uh, movement and fitness model. But it's not, they're not all 100% public. I've seen a lot of these. Uh, you know, soccer, there's baseball, there's lacrosse, uh, there's tennis. You know, there's, there's a lot coming that will answer some of these calls. And, and it's, it's, it'll be, uh, I'm sure, because uh, other people will be very jealous and, and very petty. Um, but these things, when you look at them, they, they're really going to uh, fit into what a lot of really good people are already doing. But now, standardized, we're all talking the same language. So, Charlie, just, uh, uh, you know, something I always like to ask you about, since we last spoke, have you thought any more or looked into, or has anything changed in terms of your outlook on PRI? No, no, no. no just, no, I just think wondering, so. Just no, Of bloodstream, 
where oxygen does not dissociate the hemoglobin and local hypoxic tissue then triggers alpha-colon collagen. It's just so flawed. And what I really, uh, one of the things I'll share from the DVD is uh, I know that there are people that would work on joint position and inhalation. And they, there's other people that would work on joint position, inhalation, and exhalation. And what I would challenge someone to do is take 20 people and 10 of them just work on the joint position and inhalation of like what we learn in DNS. And, and what percentage of success do you get? Is it 7 out of 10? Is it 8 out of 10? And then let's work on the joint position, which I think as we know from the model that you're, you're alluding to, because uh, I'm so scared to say their name so I don't get some cease and desist letter from these jerks, um, the, 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 there's values of joint position, inhalation, exhalation. And then what's your, what's your conversion rate? Is it 7 out of 10? Well, if it's nine for the exhalation, inhalation, joint position, and three for the joint position and inhalation, then you've got a winner, and, and I'm wrong. But what's going to happen is that the conversion rates are going to be the same. And, and, the, and if the conversion rates are the same, and you're doing inhalation A, inhalation B, joint position A, joint position B, but you're, only, but you're doing exhalation on the other one, and the conversion rates are the same, how can the exhalation have anything to do with it? They, the, it doesn't have any, it has no effect. And, and to make that the, you know, this, this whole thing of, of doing what they do is completely inconsistent with um, this suggestion that this is a parasympathetic tool. Like it's not. The inhalation is the parasympathetic tool, and you don't need to do any of the exhalation. And in fact, exhalation, scientifically, is a sympathetic stressor. And, and it's, it's, we talk a lot about that on DVD. I'll say, I'll answer whatever question. I don't want anybody to dare say that I need you to buy my DVD to learn this. Because, I, again, it's me just regurgitating things because I have questions. And, and to answer your original question, it ain't really changed. You can tell the tone of my voice. No. Like, it's, it's such a shame. But, but what was even more a shame was that people can't listen to someone else say something that, like, challenges their emotional dog. That's what sucks. That's that's what's a shame, you know. Where if you told me FMS sucks, I'd be like, all right, man. You know what? What else? What else you got? Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It does, but it, these people are so hurt, and they're so they, they and, and the reason that they're hurt is because they know they got hacked. They know they got swindled, and um, that's that's that's. Uh, I, I hope that you know we all get swindled, and, and then we can look back and be like, yeah, I got, I got, I got got. And, and I'm going to move forward and, and take some of these really valuable human messages, and I'm going to eliminate the ones that aren't so useful. Good stuff. Yeah, I just I was just interested to know if anything had changed, or that's that's good to know. Um, Charlie, I, I interviewed Christian Thibodeau yesterday, and, and I've been speaking to Pat Davidson a lot over the last few weeks, and they've been uh, they both brought to my attention this idea of how important neurotransmitters are with certain personality types and individuals. Have you looked into like neurotransmitter dominance in terms of kind of profiling patients or athletes? No, uh, I haven't, and, uh, but it sounds like it, it makes a lot of sense uh, because, you know, what, what makes your ticker tick uh, is obviously going to be very, very different uh, for each person. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. And if somebody's different, then how you shape the training environment and the training behaviors around that also makes, makes perfect sense. 
and I think we're going to get there. Like the more we measure, the more the more practical measures become. I think we'll probably find what's important. I think a lot of sports science folks, you know, look at well, only measure what's important. Well, at some point, you probably have to measure what's more than just what's important, so you can start to decide what stays in and what doesn't. So I'm not familiar with uh, with with anything specific other than. Uh, when you say the word neurotransmitter and you say the word testing, and if we're talking about creating uh, a training environment, that make, that really makes a lot of sense. Mm, it, it, like uh, you, you'll you'll probably hear it when you listen to the interview I did with um, Christian. Like it was it was like super interesting. He he profiles his athletes into certain types. Like it's not the only thing he does. It's just one aspect of his sort of assessment. But uh, it was very yeah. very. It, was very yeah, it sounds it sounds like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, Charlie, just going a little back to pain science again, um, I spoke about this with David Joyce when he was on the podcast about how we use our particular way of speaking to uh, patients and athletes who are in pain um, and to be very careful with how we word things. So an example would be try that now on your on your bad leg, you know, instead of saying try that on your, your other leg, you know, for, if someone was coming back from an ACL. Uh, have you thought much about that as well in terms of our language towards um, our athletes and patients when they're coming back from an injury? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, obviously, most people are going to feel a lot of gravity through, through uh, a, a positive uh, a, a social exchange, and all of that stuff matters, and that probably tracks back to that neurotransmitter piece. Because uh, obviously, an emotional environment is going to affect neurotransmitters as well as other people and hormonal factors. So the uh, it, it's it's paramount. I think one thing though that's very interesting is that when someone comes in and has been a uh, educated in a highly pathoanatomical environment, you, you can't just dismiss that. Well, obviously, anybody can do whatever they want, but in my mind. You have to talk their language and create that positive environment. If you come in and tell me, you know, this, well, my lat is, is overactive and, and my, uh, my, my, you know, biceps tendon is subluxed and this and that, I'm like, okay, well, uh, I don't know that I'm going to get a lot of mileage by saying, you know what, Robbie, none of that is true. None of that really happens. And here's four research papers to show you why that's the case. Um, you know, I'm like, okay, all right, well, let me, let's, uh, let, let's try it this way, and, and let's see what happens. And it, it, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing for the person to believe if their shoulder hurts, and if you really are of the mindset that their biceps tend to subluxed, which in my mind is completely ridiculous, but in someone else's mind, that's how they were taught, and they're then going to dip into their bags of techniques to apply certain strategies. If, they, if those strategies are uh, a really important pit stop onto that person whose shoulder used to hurt and is now like, doing you know powerful sets of five with 28 kilo punching that kettlebell overhead, I don't think that's a bad thing, and I don't think it's, it should feel shameful. I don't believe for one second that the biceps was subluxed, but I don't know that's always a bad thing when that person has come from a uh, that like their values are so entrenched in this pathological model. Uh, so I don't think that's a that's a, you're not evil, and I think that's what I was seeing in the pain in that in that pain summit. Like, like somehow you're doing it wrong if you're helping people, and and you're getting incredibly reliable and incredibly objective results, and the person is subjectively happy, 
oh, no, no, but you're still doing it wrong because you said the word me or you said that they're bad side. Um, now, I agree, bad side, probably not the best choice of work. You can get around that. But there's different levels of, I think when it comes to the pathoanatomy, I don't think we should feel shame to communicate that way. Uh, and then over time, particularly if you're in the training process, and it's not just a one-and-done uh, rehab consult like a lot of what I'm doing, is, uh, is, to, is, to, is to obviously get away from those terms and, and have different focus, particularly external focus uh, in non-complex uh, training. Great stuff. And just going off the back of that and language, just I suppose something that's that's it's not that it's new, but it's probably been spoken about and, and discussed about a lot more is this idea of the placebo effect. And the reason why I bring that up is I've been having some really good conversations with a friend of mine, Tommy Brennan, who's a, who's a physical therapist here in Ireland. And we kind of got our, got got to this point in our discussion where, you know, you could look at some rehab. Uh, strategies and almost like scoff, and almost scoff at them, you know. Like let's say, like, like oh, I can't believe they, they're giving them like leg extensions or leg press or clamshells or whatever. Just using those examples, but yet the client got better. And we're kind of like going, is it just like is the idea of again this placebo effect? And is it really just that if the client truly believes, like how much impact is the actual exercise like really contributing to the actual rehab? Obviously, it is to a certain degree, but if, if you kind of get the point I'm trying to make there, I think, like, like what are your thoughts on placebo and the buy-in and the belief system on, on part of the, the, the athlete or the, the patient? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a conversation that I often have as well. And here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a scorching hot take. Um, I, don't, I, don't think there's, I, don't, I don't think there's ever a placebo effect. I, I don't think placebos ever exist. I don't mm. think anything is a placebo. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think we're measuring the right thing. Um, you know, so, so if someone is objectively better in some way, uh, then it, maybe it wasn't because of why we applied the technique. So if I'm, if I'm, if I, if someone is, is, uh, doing knee extensions and I, and I did because their knee hurts and then the, the, the reason in my mind, you put a, you put your hand up on my throat and shove me up against the wall. Why did you do knee extensions? I'm going to tell you, well, I did it because um, I saw a research study you know, from 1986 that said if I do from 30 to 70 degrees knee extensions, it has a bias to the BMO, which is important to have medial tracking of the knee. Uh, and my opinion is that that's not a contemporary message, but it's your reason. And then you move on, and two to three weeks later, the person's knee is better. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other factors that come into why the person's knee is better, I don't believe it was because 30 to 70 degrees had a higher EMG and BMO. We just, we're just not measuring the right thing. And maybe because there was really nothing wrong with their knee in the first place, maybe uh, this active process or someone talking to them nicely, like we talked about the stuff that Joyce was talking about, or, or maybe um, there was a hot chick at the, at the front desk where you had good coffee in the rehab clinic. All of these things, maybe that triggered serotonin. Or, or maybe it was some kind of other hormonal or, or, or neurotransmitter that allowed you to quote-unquote feel better. We just didn't measure that. And obviously a lot of those types of measurements are highly impractical. Maybe doing a useless exercise, um, of which I'm not saying the extension is useless, there's probably a time for it to be, to be done, um, but the, maybe something is, is really just moving. 
and, and that useless exercise and that non-stimulative exercise for physiological gains was very, very useful neurologically. And we're just not measuring the right thing. Because if somebody's better, they're better. Like we know that this is this this happened. And and they can throw the heavy thing over their head and it doesn't hurt and they have good form and they're recovering. So maybe the techniques that we're using are very effective, just not for the reasons why we think they are. And I don't think if you keep going on with doing what we're doing and what we're doing, this is what you know, with put your thumb here because you're gonna break the adhesion. I think that's ridiculous. But you know what? I know a lot of people that put their thumb there and in their mind break the adhesion and they do that little hip thrust at the end to get that little extra pressure at the end. People's shoulders move and feel better. And they, they're put onto a path to, to, get, to get more fit. So um, it, are we really fighting the right battle with, with getting you know, people to say and think when in fact people are really getting the results? Now, if they're not getting results, then, then it's a different story. Um, so, so I, I, I don't think there's anything, there's no such thing as a placebo. I think people walk out of um, Ricky feeling better. I, not for one second are you going to get me to tell you that anything positive is happening at a physiological level when you're doing Ricky, unless the neurological environment of having a very comfortable environment and, and this belief that this person is doing something for you, we're just not going to lobotomize the person and see how much serotonin uptake there was. And, and if you did do that, I bet you'd find that it wasn't a placebo if you said your intent. Like to, to get to a placebo, you probably have to attach it to the intent of the, of the application. So we just have the intent wrong, but, but we're getting the result. And in today's day and age, the result is probably a lot more important than the rationale. Hmm. Like going off some of the work of John Kiley, you know, he speaks about how emotion can can completely change the actual biochemical response to a certain input. So you could, again, you could have the same input to the same individual, but they just could be in a different emotional state, and from that they'll have a different adaptation because of the emotional state yeah, they're and in. We, and, and, and we also know and, that... that, we know that yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, Robbie. No, I'm sorry. We know that under different emotional states, that's the subjective entry point to create a control group and a experimental group. They have different. They have different profiles. Yeah. They have different. You know, whatever you measure, more humoral or hormonal, they're going to have different profiles. Yeah. So of course, the same technique is going to work differently. Um, I know there's tried and true studies. If you take uh, traditional uh, acupuncture to uh, uh, a, a, a Chinese person who's who's had this, um, they're in their upbringing that this is uh, a technique. They're going to feel better. But if you put it on an American who thinks it's hooey, they don't feel better. When in fact, if you measure their humor hormonal profile, the needles affected the exact same thing. Mm. So the power of belief overrode the power of the physiological effect of the needles. So the physiological effect was in. Like it, it, it did it. it. It did what it said it was going to do in a, in a Western approach. But because the person thought it was a bunch of hooey, it didn't work. And, and that's a lot of times why I don't try reflex locomotion first on a console. Because, you know, so this person's paying big, big money, and I'm going to stick my finger in their ribs and just tell them to breathe, and, and they're not going to buy that. They, they, in my mind, they're going to, they, 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 they'll understand what I'm trying to do if I'm targeting things that fit their mindset. So it makes perfect sense that different emotional states are going to impact the effectiveness of, of especially when it's pain, because we know pain is just what we say it is. Pain doesn't have to be that this thing is actually tangibly happening. 
uh, underneath our skin. Mm. But it, it is, I know you're saying you don't believe in placebo, but is that not what placebo is then, in that there is no physiological response, it's purely just coming down to the psychology of the individual? But, but I think we can measure humoral and hormonal factors attached to psychology. Okay, okay. I, I see. Uh, yeah, Char yeah, Charlie, I, so, I, so I agree with you, but we can't... So, so for instance, uh, of the six techniques that, that I would champion, psychology is one of them. But yeah. I would measure talk therapy, or what a psychologist would call a psychology technique. I would let them call it whatever they want, but we're going to measure it through movement, output, readiness, and sensory systems. So if we have an alpha, and if we have, you know, or if we look at it as an internal load uh, of blood work, we're going to see a change. So it, it, that's how I would, you know, if we believe that there is a different emotional state, then we should be able to measure that. Yeah, exactly. Charlie, I know we, we touched on um, TR3 at the start. Can you maybe just... You don't have to go into the information, but what, what will people get with that? You said, I think you said it was a three-day seminar, so obviously, like, how many hours of recording is that? Like, where was it done? And, uh, where can people find out more about it? Uh, oh, so and also, what, what, are your, what are your hopes with the DVD? And, uh, well, the, the, uh, the, the hope is, is very simple. It's to get people to Like, you know, 
listening to what they're saying like they're walking on water. Mm-hmm. They haven't been around long enough to make mistakes to actually believe what they're saying. They're just repeating what someone else said. And, and what we always want to do, we always want to be better than the people that came before us. And in a very positive way, honor what they have taught and then take, even if it's just technology, uh, to, to take that technology to other messages. That's really what I want. That's really what I want people to, to get out of it. And of course, we talked about specific things like we talked about a few minutes ago about how, how about being your own scientist? Like if, if, if someone's saying something to you that is really charging you, so really, really shaking you up, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, like, ah, I didn't know, everybody, this, is, this is different than everything I've ever been told. Like, stop, hit pause, like, make, it's like the matrix, like, you're the only one moving and everything around you is paused. Like, why is this person telling me this? Like, is this person really trying to harm me? Is this person really trying to punch me in the stomach and walk away laughing? No, that person's not trying to do that. That person's trying to help you. And, and, and in fact, you are lucky. You are so lucky that you had such a staunch emotional connection and somebody actually had the balls to tell you you were full of shit. And, and to actually start to be your own scientist. And take 10 people and do your old stuff. And take 10 people and do this new stuff. And then you'll start to see that the message really did hold a lot of water. Be your own scientist. Try these things. You know, and, and I'm not saying like stick your finger in somebody's ear and see if that changes anything. I'm talking about like take, you know, how do you really fill in uh, some of these gaps of, of Blair's models that have very, very positive things that are useful things and, and, and a lot of things that are, that are just straight hijinks because of the internet to create a following so people put hashtag uh, and then and they're, they're part of the community. There is no community. Like, these are commercial models of people that are trying to make money to help to, to, so that you keep learning from them and only them. And, and they should not, there's nothing wrong with that. There's something wrong with that person falling for it, where they can't go to that course and, and, and see through the, the nonsense. So um, I, I feel really good about the DVD that, that I'm, I'm showing you like, why I think that. And, and if you don't agree, then that's okay. But, but, but before you do that, maybe try. Try, try to see. Like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to give you something that, that's useful. Um, yeah, and and, and the, 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 the specific focus is really more towards fitness pieces to the puzzle. Where, not that, it's, it's not that I, I haven't learned. We talked about FSM, we talked about Dolphin, we talked about uh, Shytown. Those are all you know, very left-sided rehab techniques. It's not that I'm not you know, going after those. To me, um, they're, they're, they're not, you know, I don't think everyone should be messing with those things. Because if you, you, know, you don't know like, what pain is, we even talk about that to agree on, uh, on day one, that pain can be neuromuscular. We want it to be neuromuscular. That's where exercise and nervous system control and, and putting a band around your knee actually does something. But other pain can be orthopedic, and sometimes it's medical. And taking a neuromuscular technique to a medical problem, that, that's a ticking time bomb. And, and you, know, you know, these trainers that they try these techniques for people that are in pain, uh, I think is very reprehensible. So again, that's the systematic approach where how do you know, that you, how do you even know uh, that that person you know, doesn't have an orthopedic problem and you're just trying stuff and then you make them worse, then what are you going to do? So that's why I don't, I don't get, you know, I really um, shied away from the manual therapy types of things. I'll do them live, uh, but I don't want to put them on. 
think, in my mind, to, to do. So now the evolution was more towards fitness, and with my role in Canada basketball, that's really what I do, because I think we mentioned before, I'm like, sometimes I'm like a number four medical. Uh, we have, like, on the totem pole, I'm the number one fitness, I'm the number one science, but, uh, but you know, in terms of data, data collection, but if I, I, I need to be, I need to understand the why the ball doesn't go in the basket and how we can apply fitness strategies and load management strategies. And that's a lot of what this DVD is. It, it's putting the whole system together. We do a lot of the triplanar stuff that I learned from Todd Wright, what I learned from Michelle Dalcourt. Um, people ask me all the time, when are you going to put that on DVD? When are you going to put that on DVD? And the reason I've hesitated to do it is because like, I'm just regurgitating what I learned from Todd. Uh, uh, it's, but, you know, I talked to some people and said, yeah, like, go ahead, do it. Like, it's okay to do it. I said, all right, because I love that. I love doing that stuff, and I love doing it the way I want to do it instead of some of how other people, you know, would do it, which I think is very, very dangerous. But, uh, you yeah, know, so we talked a lot about triplanar movement and some of these fantastic ways to get into warm-ups and, and, and gain a lot of the, the movement variability at a fundamental level, which is gained from moving in all three planes. But then we talk about the, the, the different ways that I would train people. Um, at the time, my three, the fourth one would probably be something like similar to what Dan John would call easy strength. I don't know that there's a lot of reason for me to talk about that. It's just to pick up a bunch of exercises, do reasonable 60%. It's a, really just an active recovery. And that doesn't minimize it. I say it flippantly, but that's a fantastic way. It's probably the fourth way that I train people. But I'll bucket people based on their goals and, and the time of year and their competitive phases. And we'll do what most people might say is a mixed method model or a concurrent model. Um, and to try to deconstruct uh, what I've learned from Mike Boyle in a Mike Boyle strength conditioning program. Uh, secondly, we talk about West Side and what I've learned there and deconstruct it and, and try to understand like how those two programs are really more similar than different. Uh, obviously, exercise selection is, is, is different. And then lastly, uh, where I continue to grow my, my, my knowledge base is, is anti-glycolytic training. And the reason I think anti-glycolytic training is the answer, if I'm going to work with people in season, if they're injured and, and high-level athletes, then, then I think the, the, uh, the, the evils to inconsistent performance is hypoxia and acidosis. So how can I minimize the impact of hypoxia and acidosis? We talk about a training program where we put together on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, weekly cycle of, of training anti-glycolytic, where we have very, very extended rest periods, which I'm sure, as you know, is a very uh, Eastern Bloc approach to training, and we see that also in Westside. And we just talk about the science that I learned from, from Pavel and from Val in, in terms of anti-glycolytic training, as these guys are, are steeped in, in certain models, and now we try to bring things that, that, that just bring everything together. Where some of the folks that have uh, that have previewed it, and obviously I'll get it out to you uh, as soon as we're, we're through here. Of uh, this is the, this is like the not, nothing brings things together the way you do it, Charlie. And I'm like that. That's a very flattering compliment. But again, to me, it, it's about bringing things together because no one model or no one person can do everything. I don't know everything. I don't do everything. What I think I've been able to do now with this DVD, of, and you saw it a little bit in 2010, you saw it a little bit more in 2013, we're seeing it more now, it's the umbrella. Like, I'm kind of good at, at the umbrella. I'm not necessarily good at the stuff that goes underneath the umbrella, but maybe my peripheral vision is a, is, is, is a little bit bigger. Maybe I don't have the acuity that other people have when we're down in the weeds and we do need a particular method of medical 
fitness, nutrition, psychology, nutrition, or load management. But I, I think what I'm trying to do on this DVD is, is, is pick and choose when those different models uh, should be prioritized. And uh, that's really what I want people to get out of this at clinical level. Charlie, just wrapping up here because I, I have to, I'll have to shoot off myself. But yeah. just in, in terms of uh, TR3 in comparison to TR2, what's been the biggest thing you've changed? Because I know from TR2, from TR1, you felt that your message got a little bit muddled from TR1 in that like you felt like you kind of put a weapon in baby's hands with some of the SFMA stuff and you, you kind of were, were wanted to make yourself more uh, clarified in TR2. What has changed from TR2 to TR3? What's the biggest thing that you've kind of learned or changed your mind on? Don't argue with people. That's the, you, you're going to see that, Robin. You're going to see that. Uh, you, you, you've known me for a long time and, and I... And, and I got away with a lot of things early yeah. on in my uh, public availability, whether it's speaking or doing podcasts. And, and, it, and it was, I really made some bad mistakes. And, and I look back at, at some of the failures that I have. And, and I really tried to use this DVD as not only a, a, a catharsis for me, but to prove to, to people that, you know what, like, you know, this is, that's the biggest difference. I still believe that there's, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with, with emails every day. You have massage school, you have a way to go around physical therapy or Cairo, blah, blah, blah. I think that stuff's still the case, and clearly it's not. I'm out of that. I'm not, this is all fitness, so everyone can, can do it. Uh, but I think what, what, what you're going to see the biggest, the biggest difference is the level of message and, and, and how uh, I'm really working very hard to, to get my point across. Yeah. And, and we, can, we can use a, a perfect example of when we talked a few months ago, or maybe even after we talked today, yeah, like you understand my point, you know, and people are listening to the exact same conversation, but when people have this incredible, incredible emotional connection, maybe like the ones I used to have, uh, I, and I knew they were wrong, and I knew that I was making, a, I, I now know that I was making a mistake, and, and uh, how I can, uh, because in, in some of the roles that I have, I have no choice now, and, and maybe I'm getting those opportunities I wasn't getting before in terms of these very very high levels of sport uh, because uh, of these of my identification of my mistakes and that's where I just wish that, that I hope, uh, I really hope that, that, that people see that difference and of course I'm, I'm still you know, I'm still going to say what I say and it's still going to be funny and I still probably shouldn't say it all the time but my point is is that you'll see that the biggest difference is in is in the speaking and, and I know when people see me. Uh, they they maybe it's a perform better, which I know may not always be the highest level of scientific message. But I'm gonna tell you what, it's a pretty damn good feeling to have five six hundred people laughing their ass off and walk out of there feeling great and knowing that there's even there might not be a, a dozen things that they're gonna that they learn, but they learn three or four and they're gonna do it. It's really an exciting thing to be able to do that, and I hope people see that from from this DVD. Charlie, just wrapping up, um, because. You're someone who's so passionate about learning. What what have been the top uh, books or resources that you've been uh, studying on lately? Balancing and Pavlosasi. Like I'll be honest, uh, I have not picked up a lot of different books that I could give you that list right now. Okay. But what I do is 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 have levels of communication for people that that already know the thing. So just because I'm not getting it out of the book, um, I'm getting it out of people. And yeah. Well, I, I did. I, I did say resource as well, so it doesn't have to be. Oh, a book. okay. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting, like the way my lifestyle is right now. 
uh, I've found that I haven't uh, been, been finishing uh, as many books. Uh, the book that I'm really into right now is is Conscious Coaching from uh, uh, Brett. from uh, Brett, yeah Brett Bartholomew. We're gonna we're gonna record something. He's, he's, he's pushed me a couple times like, hey, you know what? You know, if you like the book, put something out there. I said, no, I want you to come to Chicago and perform better, and we're gonna film something. You know, even if it's just 10 or 12 minutes, we're gonna have a conversation about about how that how the things in his book uh, impact me and 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 how. Uh, I want those concepts to be uh, uh, tremendously filtered through the staff at, at Canada Basketball or any of the folks that that I, that I work with. So there's one there's one title that I think is is, uh, is very very critical. Great stuff, Charlie. I definitely want to get you back on again to talk more about how how Valens has been a huge influence and definitely talk more about this anti-glycolytic. I just know that if we go into it now, we'll be here for another half hour, and I just thought, <laughs> I just don't have half an hour, so. Because again, just for the people listening, they probably notice that I sound different. It's because I'm in a yoga studio. Because I'm start, I'm I'm in a new position here, and uh, it's just I had, a, I had a, a couple of hour window while I was on break, so I just slipped into the yoga studio through this. So hopefully the audio came out okay enough. Um, I really got to invest in a good microphone and audio system. Because I was so keen to get you back on, Charlie. Because our last podcast was so good content-wise, but the laptop I did it on that time was dying, and the audio on it was just so poor. You could just make it out like so. It, I, <laughs> I was like, it, so, was, it might have been, it might have been good for you, but I got all sorts of uh, nasty email messages from all your PRI friends. Well, so, so <laughs> obviously, obviously the audio wasn't that bad then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Charlie, listen, uh, th- thanks so much, and just stay online while I wrap up. So, guys, you know, another brilliant episode in the books with Charlie Weingraf, and he's definitely going to be a regular guest. We'll get him back on periodically. This is his third appearance, and no doubt he'll be on here uh, more as as this podcast grows into the future. Uh, so, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, keep sharing the podcast. Keep uh, downloading, leaving reviews on iTunes if you can. And I'll talk to you all soon. Take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.